Welcome to episode 26 of Training Cars and Truth. I guess um, it's training this the physical health thought is kind of mental health and truth would be spiritual health and that's kind of why I started it I thought I'd get people on who are a bit more life's uh, experienced than me a few experts that they could, could share their stories and tell a few people give them a bit of insight into what they've gone through um, so this is uh, Sue Bowles who is a public speaker author and survivor and from reading your bio Sue sounds like you've plenty Thank you to talk about as well. Yeah, there's a few things that happened in my life. <laughs> You're the author of two books, Too Far Gone, and This Much I Know, The Space Between. Um, but maybe you can start by telling us uh, a bit about yourself and kind of the journey you up until now. Sure, and actually, uh, uh, This Much I Know, The Space Between is the only book so far. Um, oh, I, do have, um, I, I, I do have uh, titles and concepts for two more in the works, but the, the one's the only one I have all the way done so far so oh, but uh but just, just to tell you a little bit about myself um kind of just to get into my story um i was raped when i was first grade uh, a classmate when i was seven years old enticed me into the woods and for 45 minutes um held me against my will and um i didn't realize the power his last words to me would have until recently and his last words to me were don't tell anybody so that told me, tells me now that he knew that what happened was wrong. And it planted that seed in me. But I didn't, I didn't know. I couldn't put a name to it. So I ended up not telling anyone for 15 years until my senior year of college. So um, that, was, that kind of set my life off on a wrong, wrong track to start with. Yeah. From there, um, you know, my emotions were frozen in time that day. And the way I, the way I, I, I just phrase it now is when you're, when you're in the freezer, the longer you're in the freezer, the, cold, the thicker the ice gets. So my emotions were frozen in time. And as more things happened, the more emotionally unhealthy I became. Um, you know, I grew up in an alcoholic home. So there was some mental and some emotional abuse. Now, I must say that my relationship with my dad is restored, has been for many years. He's my biggest cheerleader. And he's 29 years sober. So I am so proud of him. So I always put that out there first. Yeah, appreciate um, it for your dad. So. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, um, but with that, you know, there were things that happened growing up, you know, that, that leave a mark, left a mark for a while. Um, I've been suicidal twice. You know, I've dealt with depression and anxiety. Um, I'm in recovery for an eating disorder. So at one point in time, I dabbled with cutting. So I've, I've kind of gone the whole gamut of, of unhealthy emotional behavior. And you know, now I am sharing my story at every opportunity. I'm a certified life coach, a speaker, an author, and I'm here to tell people there's hope. I'm living proof that there is hope on the other side. 
Oh, that's great. Um, because I do know, you know, you're talking about that experience from years ago. You know, do I think they do say, don't they say something like, if you don't confront, if you, if you keep going on, where you say your, your feelings are frozen in time, that uh, you never confronted, then a part of you, a large part of you is still that person and you can't really move on or you can't detach from it almost, mm. don't they? Or would that be a, a right way in saying it? Yeah, that's a good way of putting it because, you know, when this happened in the 70s, it was early 70s, this was not on the radar. It yeah. wasn't something that was discussed, first of all. No one knew to ask any question. All, all it seemed is that, you know, we we're playing after school and just going home late. So it was nobody's fault except Bobby's that day. He was the only one who did anything wrong that day. And I'm always very clear about that. It also took me a really long time to be able to say that. Because even though I didn't tell anyone for 15 years, and really it wasn't until 2014 that I really started doing the work to heal from it with my counselor, um, I still went through everything that you know a survivor is going through the day after the event. I went through the self-blame and the woulda, shoulda, coulda, and I should have known better, and why didn't I? And I went through all of that. But the hardest homework my counselor gave me early on was to look in the mirror 10 times a day and verbally say out loud for a week, the rape was not my fault. And it was not good enough to say it was not my fault. I had to name it. And that was so hard because I didn't believe it at that moment in time. But after a couple of days, it got easier to say. And I started believing it more. And now I know that is truth. I did nothing wrong that day. Bobby was the one that's at fault. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I know you, you were saying plenty of things again that, you know, you had an eating disorder and, you know, drink, you, you were addicted to drink. Do you think that was the, was that? Was that the one-off incident that did that? Or was there a few factors probably standing from your childhood that was leading you down that avenue? Yeah, um, I was on my way to being an alcoholic. Um, thankfully, I was able to stop drinking before it took off. But because an eating disorder is an addiction, and addiction runs in our family, a lot of times you give up one addiction, it shows up somewhere else. And for mine, mine ended up coming out through, through an eating disorder. And, and what mine took 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 hold in was in college, which is obviously a hotbed of stress to start with when you're at university. And um, we had one dining hall. And, and again, by, by this point in time, there's been over a decade of wrong thinking that I wasn't able to correct and I didn't share with anyone because I just, I wasn't at that point. So I was kind of doing it on my own. So I had over a decade of wrong thinking. And over time, when you mix everything together, you know, your, your mind can really warp some things out. And, and the, the phrase I use is, it's a weird, warped, and whacked out state of mind in the mind of an eating disordered person. And, and, and mine was very true. So what happened for me was I was in the dining hall at college, and I was hungry. I wanted to go up and get a second serving of food. Excuse me. But my mind translated that to... If everyone's looking at me and if they see Sue go up for more food, then they know Sue has a need and Sue can't have a need because Sue likes to come off as having, being the one that has it all together because underneath there was a lot of insecurity because if they knew Sue had a need, then they're going to kind of start finding out the secrets 
And are they going to like that Sue? Because I'm not sure I like that Sue. So that's kind of how it all happened. So instead of going up for more food, I would dump my tray and leave. And I, and I, I started snacking to curb my hunger. And over time, it, it, it took root, you know, because I, it, it was kind of, I call it, I had a paranoid mind. Um, you know, I just felt like everybody was looking at me. And, yeah. and I, I, I didn't want to be found out. Yeah. And were you actually heavy? Or were you? No. No, no, I, I was actually underweight. Okay. And, 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 and let, me, let me share a little bit here. Um, there's a lot of misinformation and myths out there and, and, and lack of understanding about eating disorders. And, and I need to say, first of all, that eating disorders are not about vanity. They are not a diet gone wrong. Mm -hmm. And they are not about anything else. Eating disorders are the most lethal of all mental health issues. They are biologically based, they are treatable, and they're most lethal not only because of the suicide that can happen when someone is in the throes of an eating disorder, but also because of the harm that happens on the body from an eating disorder that can have long-term effects, and some of it does not go away. Thankfully, I was able to get my negative effects pretty much reversed. I still have some osteoporosis, um, but some of the other things have, have reversed. My eating disorder... And a lot of people think there's like two or three eating disorders. They think anorexia, they think bulimia, they think binge purge, maybe overeating. Um, there are so many other ones. And one that I have is called OSFED, O-S-F-E-D. And it stands for Other Specified Feeding and Eating Disorder. And what that means is that I don't meet all the diagnostic criterion for anorexia, but I have disordered eating. I used to call, I would tell people, that I had anorexic tendencies, but I never called it an eating disorder. Mm -hmm. And others were always sensitive and tentative about it, but never knew how to address it with me. So um, that only added to it. You know, eating disorders, are, they're shrouded in secrecy. They're mm -hmm. shrouded in secrecy and wearing masks and, and, and trying to come off as somebody that you're not because an eating disorder has to do with emotions. Yeah. It has to do with emotions that are not dealt with correctly, and it comes out in different ways. And instead of coming out through alcohol or drugs or something like that, it comes out through an unhealthy relationship with food. The challenge is that to be in recovery from an eating disorder, you have to, um, you ha you have to expose yourself and, and deal with and, and continue to confront yourself with the thing you don't like. Whereas any other recovery, alcohol, drugs, whatever, always comes back to avoiding and staying away and staying away from it. Yeah. With an eating disorder, you have to go the opposite side or you will die. And yeah. that makes it even harder. It's not as simple as I'm not going to go into that bar. Yeah. It becomes I'm hungry and it's dinner time and I have to make a choice to have something besides cookies. That's what it comes down to. Yeah. So it's it's a whole different world, whole different world. Yeah, you never think of it that way because obviously with other addictions, like you said, smoking or drinking, you, you just avoid being in certain places at certain times or you just try your willpower the best, but you have to build new habits more so with, with food, don't you? You have to re rewire your brain almost. That's, exact, that's exactly it, Anthony, is that it, it is a neurological, a biological system in that it is part is it's about rewiring the brain 
<clears throat> and because it is so specialized, <clears throat> in the same way, most likely you have find some kind of support to deal with any other addiction to help you through. With eating disorders, because of, 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 the, of the converse action of it, you really need to have a dietitian and a counselor involved because there's, two diff there's so many different sides to it. There's the medical, there's the psychological, there's the biological. There's so many different aspects of it that one person isn't qualified to treat. So yes, I had to relearn how to eat. And that may sound really crazy, but I was eating, but I wasn't eating balanced nutrition. Yeah. And, and, and some of the things I've learned is that um, you know, when I first started eating more balanced, I started feeling like I was um, gaining weight and, and feeling you know, kind of a little, little pudgy in the midsection, and that bothered me. And I talked to my dietitian about it, and the way it was described is that right now, your body is starving for those things, and you're giving it to it, mm -hmm. and it doesn't know when you're going to give it to it again, so it's hanging on to it. And the more you eat and your body learns to trust you, it's going to level itself out. It's part of the process. Your body is starting to learn that it can trust you to take care of it. And sure enough, as I continue to eat, and I hit what, I, what they call my set weight, every person, your body, your DNA is designed, your genetics are designed to have what they call set weight. It's, it's the healthy weight that your body needs to function at max, maximum capability. Yeah. So if you had told me, I, I, not just, you know, I, I don't talk numbers. I never want to trigger anybody. But if you had told, told me years ago that my set weight is what it is now, I would have freaked out because I was deathly afraid of gaining weight. And yet now I, I don't think about it. I don't have a scale in my house. Um, I used to have two, and, and I was getting to the point I was weighing myself multiple times a day. And one week my dietician said, at your next appointment, bring them in. And if you don't, we're not meeting. And she told me when I got there, because I almost didn't bring them in. And when I got there, she's like, she's like, glad you have them. Because if you didn't, I would have told you we're not meeting. You would have gone right back home. <laughs> so I was like, that's some tough love. Yeah. Uh, but I don't have scales here anymore because I don't need them. Because I, I know what I need to eat. Yeah. yeah. took a long time to get to. Yeah. And you know, it's funny when you're talking about the body. It's funny the body has kind of... It's own mind of its own almost, isn't it? You know, you're you're doing one thing, questioning it, and the body knows what's doing naturally almost. You know, it's storing it because it's you know it's just interesting, isn't it? In that way, but you know, when you're talking about in the cafeteria going up and being kind of you know um, paranoid about you know getting more food, and you think trying to get to the root of that. Do you think that came from? Did it come from that uh, experience in the classroom, or did it come from the was it was there multiple root causes like that gave you the the kind of lack of confidence like the you said the household was kind of had also um an alcoholic presence to it as well maybe you weren't uh being given enough attention there as well and maybe there's you weren't you know your confidence was at a low from a few different root causes mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah and and i think but I, I used a word when i was describing that i used the word masks and you know, I said earlier that eating disorders are clouded in secrecy mm. because you know, the whole thing was about having a need. It's a very natural need that really nobody thinks about if somebody wants to go get some more food. But where my mind was is because I had, because I was hurting so much over the years and I didn't know how to ask for help, 
I got concerned and my mind started lying to me because again, I wasn't feeding it correctly so it couldn't process things correctly. And that's where things get warped out even more. But I, I, I convinced myself that um, I couldn't have a need. It's, I had always been the strong one. I had always been the one getting good grades, being involved, doing all the good stuff, not being a bad kid, not getting detentions, nothing, not skipping school, nothing like that. And so to suddenly have a need meant that I was weak. And you know, I, didn't, I didn't want others to see me as weak. So, and, and it's just how warped out it gets in the mind. You know, I, I never connected food to weakness. I would not do that now, I should say. Yeah. Then everything came around to, I didn't want to be found out. So if Sue had a need, someone might ask a question. And if someone asks a question, then, you know, it's harder to hide. Mm -hmm. and, and, and the, way I, the easiest way to describe it is that, you know, activity became my number. You know, I always like to have something to avoid, to help us avoid whatever we don't want to deal with. So activity became my number. I was over-involved in college. And, and what I have since learned about myself, it kind of came out this way. If I, if I was busy, I didn't have to think. Mm -hmm. and if I didn't have to think, I didn't have to feel. And if I didn't have to feel, I didn't have to deal with my stuff. So that's kind of how it all came into play. It, it, it gets all twisted out because there were so many things. So I wore a mask. I wore a mask that I was okay and that Sue didn't have a problem. And, and everything else stemmed from the fear and the anxiety of taking off that mask and having to face myself and then wondering, would anybody really like me or care about me or love me? Yeah. And, and tell me, and who, who was it that helped you kind of take off that mask? Was it, was that, or how did you find the person who, who helped you? Uh, it's been a few different things. Um, first of all, I have a phenomenal counselor I've been with her since 2008, and she has gone places with me. She's taken me places that I never thought I would go. I kind of wanted to, and I hoped I could, but never thought it was possible. So I, I definitely attribute, even though she always says, you're the one doing the work, and she's right. I do the work, but she's along to help me, you know, and she, she helps and guides me and, and keeps me going. Um, so I attribute a lot of it to, to my counselor. In addition to that, um, that laid a lot of groundwork. But what really hit it was an organization called Walking Stick Retreats. Um, I don't know, you, you may have heard, have you heard of a Christian musician named Rich Mullins? No. Uh, okay. He wrote a song called Awesome God, which was his big, one of his big signature songs. He loved Ireland, loved coming over there. Let's, uh, and and, and, and his, his entourage and his friends would go over there and actually they wouldn't go back. So it, Anyway, so Ireland has a very special place in his heart. Uh, so anyway, um, Rich was killed in a car wreck in 1997. So in 2014, his family and friends uh, were contacted by a movie producer to do a movie about his life. So this movie came out called Ragamuffin. And it was a hard watch at the, at the start. And I saw it a number of times. Later that summer, the same group of people decided to start to do a retreat to continue the conversation about the themes in the movie, talking about brokenness, talking about masks, reckless abandon, family relationships, um, the reckless love of God, all those different things, and, and kind of having to deal with your stuff. And it took 
a while for me to pull the trigger, but I finally signed up for it and I was petrified. And yet I knew I was supposed to be there. So I looked at my counselor and said, we got six weeks, get me ready for this because I just want to be authentic. I didn't say it with a smile on my face. I said it with a forlorn look on my face of, I just want to be authentic. So I went on that retreat and I went from walking into that retreat, very broken and, and actually I was, I was imploding. I, and one of the staff members has since described it as, as if it was a Hail Mary pass for me. Could I really be lovable? Could God's kids love me? Could God actually love me? And, um, I went into that retreat calling myself the holy exception. Everything in the Bible was good enough for everybody else but me. It didn't apply to me. I went from that to leaving in three days saying that Jesus Christ is absolutely crazy about me. And, and that started the process. It's actually what I write about in my book. My, my book is my story. The first half of the book is my story. You know, it's, the book is this much I know, the space between. Yes. This much, this much I know all of us know our stories. That's the one thing no one can ever take away from us. So the first half of the book is my story. And I talk about Bobby and I talk about all, th- all kinds of things. And I end each chapter with just a, a, little, a, a, a little snippet of, of what I've learned about that part of my life. And like, you know, after the, that's a chapter about Bobby. It says, this much I know, no matter what happens, God sees, God knows, and God is at work to make good come out of even unspeakable horrors. So that's the first half of the book. Yes. The, second, the second half talks about what happened in my life through these retreats. Because First of all, I had to own my story. You asked what helped get me out from taking off the masks. It was this whole process. I had to own my story because I was in denial. And, and the mask was the denial. So first I had to own my story. And simply by people loving me and accepting me and giving me a place to where it was okay to not be okay, it allowed me a safe place to start taking off the mask. So I had to grieve the story. That's why I had to own the story. Then I had to grieve the story. All of us have hurts in our lives that we really need to honor and grieve and feel around. So the next year at retreat, I had what I call a sacred moment of release where I just ugly cried for about 10 or 15 minutes. And it was my biggest fear for the longest time was that I would cry and never stop. And I stopped. It took a while, but I stopped. And yet those people just loved me. And each year the retreat continued to build and build and build where it went from owning my story to grieving my story to realizing that I have worth that I am valuable to God, I'm valuable to others, and that I'm valuable to me. And then after that, it's realizing that my story is worthy of being told. Because now that I realize, as I've done the hard work of healing, and, and this is just a thumbnail sketch of what it really took, the book explains it more. But um, to do the hard work of healing, to get to the other side of the mountain, you cannot go around it, you have to go through it. Yeah. But there is such hope and joy on the other side and peace that now I realize that I have a responsibility. You know, my, my website, one of my websites is mystepahead, mystepahead.com. And, and it's, it's centered on just the statement. You only have to be a step ahead to help the person behind you. I don't have it figured out. I'm, I don't have it. I don't have all the answers. But I've gone through stuff where I can help the person behind me. 
while I'm still reaching out for help to take my next step. Yeah. That's what it's all about. So long answer, but there's so, there so much involved. I can't just say, you know, it's not a magic wand. Yeah. Yeah. And I know, no, I did. I wrote down actually when I seen that uh, we only have to be one step ahead to help the person behind us. I thought it was a great quote because like you said, like we all have different mountains to climb. You know, some of, some of our mountains are higher than others, but we can always help the other person up an, a step from, you know, the, the mountains that we're climbing or the steps that we're going up. And um, I'm wondering when you were in that retreat, did you have, was it a, a drawn out process or did you have a certain moment? Can you remember a particular moment where you were kind of like, wow, did something start to click in? Or uh, did you have that moment of not enlightenment, but are, you know? Yeah. Um, both. I mean, oh. it, it was, it was a process, mm -hmm. um, but I was so hungry and desperate and centered on just coming there to work. Uh, in fact, somebody told me, like, I said, I felt like I didn't meet, meet as many people as I normally would like to. They said, you came here to work and you were doing what you needed to do. And, and, and one particular thing, one thing that really struck it for me and, 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 I may have an emotional reaction. No one's asked me this question in a while. So this is great. I love this. And I'm remembering it in my mind. And, and I will never say forgive me for having an emotional reaction, but please understand because this is part of my story that's very special to me. Absolutely. Uh, so having said that, um, you know, a number of the staff are here, counselors or pastors, whatever. So one of the staff, Kathy Sprinkle, um, did a guided imagery. And, and we were talking about um, the imposter. We were talking about the imposter and all of us and how the imposter lies to us and, and talking about um, God coming into the picture with you and the imposter and, and just sitting down with you and just having a conversation and just basically, you know, um, for, and I'd have to get out my journal to really go through it. And actually I, I do share this in my, in my book. Um, I, I share it in more detail. Um, it was a whole conversation in my mind's eye that I had between God and this little girl and Sue as an adult. And it was releasing the little girl to just be a little girl again. The, the little girl in me had taken care of the adult all this time. And now it was time for the adult to let the little girl go and just be a kid again. And did not have that pressure of growing up and not have that pressure of I have to, I can't let anybody know I'm hurting. That And that, that moment of release in that mind's eye picture was so, so powerful. But that, that is what free, that's where I really felt the freedom. And I actually, I wrote the whole thing out um, in my journal and I actually share that entire journal entry in my book um, so that they can try to get a better idea. But just to share, I'm going to share just, Part of the conversation it went from the adult to a child it was you've carried this weight too long you helped me survive and i thank you you were strong you were brave you protected you fought and now it's time for you to rest you can breathe now you can be a little girl you can relax and play and run and laugh and just be and then the child to the adult says i'm tired i don't just need a break I need it to be over. I quit. I can't do this anymore. I need you to take this. You're the adult. You're an adult now. It's your turn. It's your responsibility. It's yours. And then it goes on, talks about just setting the little girl free. 
So that was one of the key moments for me where I realized it was okay to not be okay. Yeah. And I could just, I could be the broken person that I was because I had reason to be broken, but I, I wasn't, I wasn't willing to stay broken anymore. I was willing to reach out for that help. That was a, that's an amazing story. And I really appreciate you sharing it. I know it's, uh, obviously you have still the emotional reactions, very profound kind of, you know, um, experience to go through, isn't it? That obviously set you on a course. That was, um, was that when you, you took down crying and you released everything? Yeah. But that, the way I just read was from 2014. Okay. And is that, that was the first retreat. That was, that was, that was just the part of owning my story. Yeah. And then letting go of the emotions tied to that story really came more detailed next year. Yeah. It, it, it was a process. Yeah. You know, it doesn't happen overnight. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, each, each thing kind of had to keep building on itself. I had to, you know, that first year, you know, I wasn't, I, I, I didn't like my story. And that's why I was trying to avoid it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, with the help of my counselor, I was able to at least start facing it. And, and, and for me, that's where we started facing the rape. And that, yeah. was, that was the first thing. Yeah. Because I know that there's, there's other things that happened along the way as well, wasn't it? You had a, a very bad auto accident as well, I believe, with your, with your mother. Yeah. You know, yeah. Was, that, was that later on in life? Yeah. Uh, the auto accident was 2001. Okay. Um, yeah, we had, yeah, it was pretty crazy. We, uh, we were in... It was a snowy morning, not real bad, but just a little bit. And there's a car coming at us, lost control, and you know, crossed over into our lane. And between her speed and mine, it was a, a collision course of 70 miles an hour. My, I had a little LeBaron. I T-boned her black Camaro and smashed her, her passenger side door all the way over, her, over to her stick shift console. Had there been somebody in that passenger seat, they would have been killed. We had to cut the other person out of the car. They were going to life flight my mom. Then um, they had to cancel it because the wires overhead. So mom had three and a half hours of reconstructive surgery on her wrists that day. She had to fixators in her bones, you know, as, as, as external fixators for um, how long. Uh, mom was in a uh, trauma unit for a week. And she was in skilled, uh, skilled nursing for three weeks. And then she went to my brother's house for two months for a skilled for, for home PT before she even came home. So she was gone three months. Um, it was, you know, she's not disabled as a result. Um, it, you know, this, those were, those were, that was a scary day. Yeah. Was a scary day. So. I seen that you wrote on your, on your website, you know, um, that you've, you spent eight years in the, in the college student services and, and mm-hmm. 10 years at school yeah. youth ministry. But uh, and non-profit businesses, but your greatest privilege is caring for your mom, which you're still doing now. Yes. It? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Now, mom will be 86 here in the uh, first week of June, oh. and uh, you know, her health is deteriorating some. She's had a stroke and a heart attack in the last three years. Okay. Um, thankfully, she's there's not there's not too much deficiency, um, but she's been through it. You know, um, three years ago we thought we might lose her, um, and she came through. She's strong. She's starting to. You know, starting to do transfers and physical therapy. So my mom is is strong. She's just strong, and uh, it, it is a privilege. It's just an absolute privilege. And I honestly, I dread the day she's not here. Yeah, and do you, do you do that full time? Because obviously, you do all your talks, and you're you're just certified as a life coach now as well. So you obviously yeah. are very spread pretty thin, I'd imagine. Are you? 
Well, no, um, mom, mom has a home health aid during the day, so that helps. And my, my brother lives with my brother and my mom both live with me at my house. Yeah. Um, so my brother helps me as well. So, um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's not, it, it's, it's a good balance. We have a good, a, a good schedule worked out and everything that allows everybody to still have a life, still do their thing. Um, you know, between the speaking and the podcasting and the, you know, the, the writing and, and the life coaching, um, that, that gives, gives me energy. I mean, you can see the smile on my face. That just energizes me. Um, and, and, and it helps me. It helps me fulfill my responsibility to share my story. And yeah. it's a responsibility I take, I take very seriously. Yeah, because I know, you know, you've obviously the, the whole mental health area, especially probably a few years ago, we're, we're getting there a bit, bit by bit, but it's still, there's a bit of a stigma around talking about it, isn't there? It's hard to, yeah, like, I know you, you go and speak in these places, but it's kind of hard to break down them barriers. Or do you find that at all to get people to open up to talk about their stories? Yeah, um, that's one of the reasons I started speaking was to help break the stigma. That, mm. that was that was because and it started around eating disorders and it branched out from there. Um, actually, next week I am part of a it's a virtual so therefore global summit on mental health, and okay. um, I, I, my presentation is called "The Inside Life of an Eating Disorder," where I get into much more detail. I share my story. I talk about what it's like to have an eating disorder and the hell in the brain that it is, and and, and talk about that. But there's like 20, 28 or 29 speakers with this thing, folks who have done TEDx talks. I mean, just, you know, a lot, a lot of people, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, is, I think the more we talk about it, the more the stigma gets broken. And, and right now, with COVID-19, people are starting to talk about mental health in a much more open way. Mm -hmm. and, and, and while COVID-19 is not a good thing, Goods can still come of bad things, just like you've seen in my life. Good can still come from bad. And I think one of the good things that's coming from COVID-19 is it's, helping, it's going to help us break down that barrier even faster. Because right now, people are in their homes. They're having to deal with their stuff because they can't be busy and hide from it. Yeah. So you know, that's where I come in as a life coach. I can help people, people work through some things that have come up. Yeah. Maybe maybe someone has lost their job mm -hmm. and is trying to say, you know what, now I've got an opportunity to redefine myself. I can help them you know, sort through those and help them reach their goals there. So yeah. there's, there's, the more we talk about it, the less stigma there is. So that is why I'm out here doing this. You know, May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and you know, I want to be out at every turn I can shouting the horn that it is okay to not be okay and you are not alone the hashtag for this mental health summit is hashtag you are not alone mm -hmm. um you know i mean it's i'm excited and then two weeks after that one i was asked to be, take part in another summit called dare to speak up and that one's talking about you know, is the power of is talking about <clears throat> breaking the shame around trauma and speaking out and sharing your story so again every opportunity i have every turn it's yeah. about helping break the stigma because somebody is out there frozen in time the same way i was mm -hmm. and, and i might only be a step or two ahead that's all it takes to help somebody behind me yeah i think you know these days people are a lot more open as well i think isn't it it's, it, we are breaking the barrier so we are getting somewhere because i know like if you talk about someone going to a counselor maybe 30 or 40 years ago did you know did look at you you know do a few times but you know nowadays you know people understand that 
mental health is as important or more important than your physical health. You know, you, you know, you need that to, you know, if you didn't have your mental health on point, you know, like you said, you, you mightn't be here, you know, you, you could go down a very bad way of thinking and the mode of saying something. And, and you say that the COVID-19 is good that we can all see it. And I seen you also put up a message kind of saying that uh, on a video that it also gives us time to think about who we want to be or what we want to, you know, achieve and it, we, we right. should make use of that time from sitting at home and, and putting in things together. So there is, obviously it's, it's bad what's happening. And, and but, uh, you, you, we can sort out, we can take this opportunity to sort out, you know, our own minds. And that's the message I was getting from the video you put up. And I thought that's a great message because it really resonated with me. Cause I think I was thinking it myself the other day, but I didn't put it into words and I saw your video on it and said, that's a great message. People should be doing that because we, we busy ourselves with work and stress and it builds and it builds mm-hmm. and we never get time to step right. back from it all and just say, is this what I want to be doing? Or what else should I be doing? Or what, actually makes me happy doing you know yeah but at the same time you know i never want to put pressure on somebody to say you should be doing this you know yeah. that's wrong for me as a coach mm-hmm. but um and as a person but you know because there are some people who right now are just trying to they're struggling enough just to get through and yeah. they have all everything they can take to get through the day emotionally yeah. and, and and to 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 plant the seed in them that well, there's more you should be doing right now is wrong and yeah. insensitive and not and, uh, and not uh, and dishonoring to them because mm-hmm. each person's story, you know, this much I know every person has their own story yeah. and you know, all, all, what we need to do right now, here's the one thing we all should be doing, whatever we need to do to help ourselves get through the day. And that's going to look different for each person. Some people will take this time and run ahead and, re- and rediscover themselves. Others are, you know what? I'm just trying to figure out what I want to eat today. You know, I'll be honest, this COVID-19, as you know, as we're doing more from home and schedules are interrupted, has been challenging on my eating. You know, I'm four years into recovery and I'm still challenged with having the mental energy to go fix what I need to fix. So I'm not going to put an an unrealistic expectation or plant that seed with somebody Hmm. when sometimes they're just trying to survive. That's the most important thing anybody can do right now is whatever you need to do as you know best to survive yeah. i would just challenge people to at least reach out and don't do it alone yeah and you know you, that is very true because i do know temptation is there as well taking taking eating disorders for for an example mm-hmm. you know when you're at home and not doing as much you know when you're not out of the house you're sitting in the house the press is there with the food and the snacks in it or the fridge mm-hmm. you know and that's boredom you know it can become a habit of just just nothing to do go and get a small snack to satisfy oh, yeah. a small craving and back and you know it, that's mm-hmm. why i really think that the staying active is, is good even if it's a walk and i seen as well you put up a, mm-hmm. like an acting active coping calendar i thought that was really good you know like it was okay uh, and not necessarily for the uh, COVID 19 but just uh, for people getting through their days giving them tips on step by steps that was a great idea i thought thanks and um, why 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 did you become what, what made you think, make the decision to become a certified life coach? Uh, well, my master's is in, is, has a counseling basis to it. So I, my master's is in counseling, college student development. So I have a lot of, lot of, the, had a lot of the baseline listening skills to start with. Uh, but it's time to take it to the next level. You know, I, I left higher ed. Um, I'm kind of back in it as a speaker and a conference presenter now. But um, I, I wanted to do the life coach because it's even a wider range. 
You know, there are so many people out there hurting. And, and, and honestly, right now, especially with COVID-19, I was reading an article on, on the news on the website in this this morning that mental health workers are, are, are part of what they call the invisible frontline workers because you know, they're, they're seeing the increase because people are finally willing to get some help with whatever it is. It might just be momentary anxiety to get through the day or the situation or whatever, but people are willing to get help. And because of that, there is a great need for more people to be out there helping. So life coaching, it was an incredible opportunity and this very natural fit to be able to, to really, um, you know, as I say, help people discover, have courage and break through their perceived obstacles so that their dreams and goals can become reality right now to help them take their next step. That's what it's all about. Yeah. And tell me, would you ever link, uh, you know, we've talked about in the past, you know, where people are feeling down in themselves and stuck in, you know, this can be very isolating for some people. I know, like, I'm lucky enough, I have my child and my partner here with me and there's three of us, but I know, you know, different relatives, you know, even older can be isolated very much. Um, and I know it, it can be very difficult and, you know, heavy on, on the head as well. Um, have you found that, we talked in the past about people going for walks can help, you know, their mental health, you know, just releasing them endorphins or have you ever found that in, in a kind of active physical activity way that it's helped? Oh yeah. For, for everyone has a certain way that jives best with them. You know, some, something that energizes them. If you know, some people might be writing, it might be reading, it might just be sitting in a park. For right. me, getting out in nature in one way or another is helpful. So you know, um, over the weekend, it was beautiful weather. I went out and just took a 15, 20-minute walk around the neighborhood. Yeah. And just getting out was just, it's like, ah, there's trees, there's birds. And just hearing that, watching the water, you know, go through a creek. Yeah. And, and, and then seeing other people around, you know, they're walking as well. Um, just, it's just, it's just nice. You know, my, my church, obviously, is like any other church. We can't meet in person. For Easter, they did drive-in services, and we had to stay in our cars, but there was so much energy just seeing people and being around. You know, they're doing it again this weekend, and, and just just those, just that excitement of, I can go to church. I can't get out of my car, but I can, I can be there. Yeah. I can see these people that I usually just see right now on the internet like this. It yeah. makes a world of difference. I mean, yeah. yeah, there's still a social distancing, and everybody's got masks on, and you know, you're staying in your car and the whole deal. But it's still contact in a different way, and it yeah. just it just it just breathes a, gives a breath of fresh air. Yeah, because yeah, I know some people I was talking to, you know, they go days of stepping outside their house, you know, and kind of don't even know. And you know, I think that when you when you do that and you get the news at six o'clock that uh, more statistics and whatever happened today and how many more cases yeah. there, and then if you do get that chance to go outside, you realize that. You know, the birds are still singing, you know, the, the, the air is still fresh, you know, the people, there's right. people still, you know, getting around and getting, you know, it's not as grim as, I know it's grim, but, you know, life is still there, you know, you can still clear mm -hmm. out of that. I don't think, I think too much of it can cloud you and bury you and we don't want people, the worst mental health coming out of all this on top of the, the physical health and the deaths. Yeah. And, and, and that's not to discount the fear. When this thing started, my fear, I was fighting my fear like everybody else. Yeah. Um, yeah, and 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 you know, over you know, and, and the key first of all is just acknowledging that 
it's okay to not be okay. Yeah. It all comes back to that. I had to kind of deal with myself of, it's okay to be fearful, mm -hmm. but it's not okay to let that fear paralyze you. So yeah. you're, you're fearful and reasonably so, because you've got an 87 year old mother across the hallway that if she gets the virus, you know she's not gonna survive. So, you know, um, so use that fear to take the right precautions, yeah. but still model to others that it's okay to not be okay and to still operate. Yeah. And, 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 you know, but yeah, I was right there with everybody else with all the unknowns with this thing. Sure. Yeah. And you know, um, you were talking about your, your church. I wanted to ask you, cause I know you said you had that experience, um, in your retreat. It, were you, were you always a believer from, from a child? Was that the home you were raised in or did that path find you? Well, I was raised Catholic. I went to Catholic school all the way through high school. Um, but I didn't come to Christ in terms of, of owning the difference between religion and relationship. So, so I became a Christian May 31st, 1985 at uh, a Christian rock concert by a group called Petra. Uh -huh. And um, it was great. And, and, and I, I love it. Christian music is still a really big thing in my life. But they described it in a way that wasn't about religion. And it wasn't about earning my way to God. Yeah. It was about God loves me just the way I am. And, and, and that, was, that was something very different. You know, um, you know, like I said, I was raised Catholic, so I know all about the sacraments and going to confession and doing ten Hail Marys and five rosaries, you know, and how many are fathers and the whole deal. And, yeah, I, 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 know, I know there's a lot of, you know, that, that Catholic faith is large over in Ireland, but I am going to be bold enough to say that you can't earn God's love. Mm -hmm. and, and that those, you know, those things that the, that the priest told me would make me right with God aren't, aren't fully accurate. It's really yeah. not accurate. Yeah. Um, so, you know, so I came to Christ in 1985, and uh, it's, it's, it, it's changed my life. It really has changed my life. You and know, I don't use that phrase often. Yeah, it's a big phrase to use. And I think you're, you're, you're dead right. Like, it, we, we obviously is Catholic Ireland, and we are all in the Catholic schools, but I am um, like that. I, I would never say I was an atheist, but I, I went away from, like, I don't think, it, it took me a while to, to realize the difference between, like you said, the organized religion and then the, the figure of Christ or being a Christian. You know, um, I had my own kind of experience um, where, you know, I was kind of confronted by, like similar to, like you said, the, the figure of Christ and um, it was uh, I really my home mindset turned around and I had to really look at the whole thing and I realized that the organized religion was different to what what, what his actual words were or what the book was saying and I went back to that and I still go back to that and it makes a world of difference I think that we're not taught that you know it makes it serious and do you think you know when you're talking about that voice talking to the child was that was that um Jesus to you or was that God you know speaking or was that was it was it was it that experience of that that person talking or was it the group experience of letting out your emotions or was it both oh uh, for, for, with, with that with that uh, imagery I was sharing about and in my book yeah um it, it was I believe it was God helping me understand because God came in in the, the next section was about when God steps into it um, you know, it, it, it was a conversation between 
yeah, I think all of us you know, would say that we've got, you know, we've got many facets of ourselves. We always, there's always an, an, what they call, if you want to call it an inner child or a little kid in us. Yeah. And you know, I think it was a conversation finally breaking through between the little kid and the adult and giving permission to let go yeah. and, and just to release that. But mm -hmm. then, yeah, God stepped into the picture and, and, yeah. and had some things to say because ultimately it was about letting everything go and giving it to God. Yeah. So, yeah, he, he, he stepped in and that's, that's what made it powerful was um, that, that I, 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 for me in particular, it was very powerful um, for God to step in because with everything that was going on with the rape, you know, part of what I had to deal with, I was hacked off of God. I was so flippin' angry you wouldn't believe it because I'm like, why did you let that happen? Where were you? How could you? And I had to work through all that, and it does not come easy. Mm -hmm. So to go from that and almost feeling abandoned by God at the most critical point in my life at that point in time, to then be able to um, take it and go from God to Jesus yes, yeah. was very powerful and and. Trying, it makes me want to go back from my journal because um, I know when I when I shared that with the retreat staff the next day, I read I read that to Kathy Sprinkle, who, who did, did did the exercise, and um, I told her that it was so powerful for Jesus to step in, yeah, because it became personal. It wasn't yeah. God out of reach. Yeah, yeah. It was Jesus in the flesh. So it was, Jesus it's the personalization of it, isn't it? It's like you don't, you, you kind of know what people are talking about when you say God, but when, when it's that personal figure, you know, yeah. and they make that connection. I think it really, like I've talked to a few people, and it's the same for myself, where it really kind of revolutionizes your, your whole mindset, doesn't it? You know, you, you become much more yeah. appreciative of everything, you know, from oh, yeah. from the sunny weather to, you know, going into nature to, you know, your loved ones. You know, it puts your whole different spin on. And also, it also, I think it also, there's a line, and I don't know where it is, in the New Testament that, uh, you know, all those born again, you know, are, are called, you know, and they, they're called to, to speak the truth or to speak, you know, mm -hmm. I know a lot of people, you know, even close to me who aren't believers, and I know even they might listen to this and they might be like, oh, here he goes again talking about it. But, you know, when people go through that whole transformation, it, there's nothing more real or there's nothing more life-changing yeah. almost, isn't it? It's hard even to talk about or to explain. Yeah, and, and, and for me, you know, I, I, I went, when I was in college, you know, I, there were different Christian groups and you know, I was involved with them, and they were trying to share the gospel with me. And, and I was like, you're a bunch of Bible thumpers. I don't want nothing to do with you. You know, I got my own religion. I, I, you know, I'm good enough. You know, I got, got, I'm okay. And, and, and I can't tell you what it was that broke through at that concert. I, the only thing I remember, I remember saying that there was a joy in those people that I had never seen before. They were actually enjoying life. Mm -hmm. and, and that was something I had not seen at 20 years old, 22 years old. And, and at the end, you know, there was just something about it that was curious. I was like, they got something I don't have and I want it. Yeah. And that's what it came down to. And I didn't know, you know, it still took a year for me to realize that my lifestyle was supposed to change. Yeah. Senior, senior year, I might've told you I was a Christian, but I was still drinking like a fish. You know, I was still, 
um, you know, you couldn't tell my lifestyle changed. Yeah. And, and, and I just, it was just, it, it was time. It, it was, it's over time. It's an evolution. You know, for a lot of people, Absolutely. it doesn't happen right away. Yeah, it builds. Yeah. It, it does. It does. But now, you know, um, I mean, I, I wish my devotional life was better than it was. I've let too much of life creep in to, you know, not carve out that time that, that I want. Not out of obligation, but out of desire. And I think that's the biggest thing. If we want to tell your listeners, the difference, when I said earlier, the difference between religion and relationship. Religion is based on obligation. You know, I heard somebody say, you know, when you're raised Catholic, the only excuse, only acceptable excuse for not being at church on Sundays is if you're going to a funeral, and then it better be your own. You know, <laughs> you kind of joke about that, you know? But it's, there's truth to that. But so a lot of things... For me, and, and I will only speak from my experience in, in, in ra being raised Catholic. Again, I did CCD. I did Catholic school all the way through high school. So, so I, have, I have a foothold to speak from. There's a lot of obligation. There's a lot of doing it because you were supposed to. Yep. There's a lot of believing the priest had, had the, the direct pipeline to God, and then I couldn't talk to God directly. Yep. There was a lot of... Um, of doing it because someone told you to do it, you know, because they know best. And, and, and there's always an aspect of that in our lives. But when it comes to your faith, you know, we don't want to be robots, no. you know. And, and, and I think the biggest thing, there's a couple things within Catholicism I, that I have issue with. I think one of them is just knowing that I don't have to earn my way to God. I don't have to. I don't have to you know, do penance to prove how sorry I am to God. Yeah. And I don't have to prove myself to God. And I think that's one, that's one of the fallacies of it. And instead, it, it goes from obligation to desire. Yeah. You know, when I sin, and, and I think that's the other thing is that you know, I, I think of, you know, the mortal and the venial sin. And I don't see that in the Bible anywhere. I see sin yeah. as sin. Yeah. And, 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 you know, James 1.10, if you miss the mark, the Ten Commandments, in God's eyes, if you miss one of them once, you're guilty of breaking them all. Yeah. Sorry, we're all in trouble, you know? But for, for me, it became, became wanting to let God know how much I love him through my repentance. And simply by being repentant and changing behavior, that's where I show him how sorry I am and how much I love him. Not by how many Hail Marys, rosaries, and our fathers, I'm going to say. Yeah. You know, and I think that, that's the, that was one of the biggest things. And, and I know I'm stepping on toes. But, you know, I can say, again, I'm only speaking for me, is that for me, when I came to Christ in a personal relationship, and what that means is simply saying, God, I know I'm a sinner. I screwed up. I'm not perfect. Yeah. And that I've broken your law and that I need you and that I need you to take over control of my life. And I give it to you now. Thank you for forgiving me of my sins and making me like you. There you go. That, there's no magic formula. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you're right. Because like, you, you know, and you hit the nail on the head there is really because what, what the Catholic, the Catholicism does, it impersonalizes it, I think, you know, and okay. um, it took me a while to, Really, I was at a low point when things happened to me. I was kind of sitting inside my bed. And uh, one thing I did, because I read other people's testimonies, and I had been through a lot of different avenues trying to help my, you know, trying to figure out what would help, you know, my mind state. 
and a few years ago, about four or five years ago, and um, I, I end up saying, Jesus, I trust in you. And something, something, something like lit up the room almost, you know, and uh, it was so much so that I, uh, I fell asleep on the spot. I wasn't able to sleep and I, like a few minutes later, I fell asleep. I woke up and I was kind of like, what happened there? And it happened the same mm-hmm. the next day and the next day. And my, uh, I, now I realized that I personalized it. You know what I mean? I made yeah. that connection. You know, it says, you know, knock and you know, the door will be opened, this kind of thing, you know. And also, you know, when you're talking about the Catholic Church, I had to discern, well, what, so what do I believe then? You know, what exactly, where am I? You know, and mm-hmm. I think everyone has their own person, you know, journey. And I have been guided that way, I think. And I know I read Matthew 6, 6 was, um, you know, when you speak, you don't need to dress up and go to the synagogues, you know. You can close your door of your room and speak to the Father in secret. And I was like, well, hold on. If, if he's saying that, and the Catholic Church is all about Jesus and God, how come they're not talking about that? They're talking about, you better be there every Sunday, you know? Right. <laughs> like, right. That's right. not at all what he said. And then I realized that that's when I realized I was a Christian and uh, I took straight from the source. So I said, from now on, you know, I'm reading, yeah. you know, straight from the source. And that, had, yeah. that, like you said, that's been building. And I do believe that it guides you in certain ways, then. Do you feel mm-hmm. that, like, that you're at certain talks oh, yeah. to meet certain people at the right time? And you're, do, you, do you feel that way at all, that you're in the right oh. place? Oh, yeah. When, when I get a chance to speak with Christians, and especially to speak with Christians about mental health, that is like, that's my, that's my lane. Because especially, in, I think, in, in, in church, in, in, in the Christian faith, we can shoot our own. We, we can, and, and I think some of it is we do ourselves because we think, well, I'm a Christian. I can't have problems. You know, mental health is, you know, is, you know and, and I'm not going to go into all the things you hear. Um, but here's the thing. We live in a fallen world. Think of this. Did snow exist in the Garden of Eden? Okay. So even snow is a result of the fall. Okay. So if you really think about it, okay. Yeah. So therefore, our sin nature is part of the fall. And, you know, I'm not, mental health is not sin. Don't hear, don't, don't, don't anybody hear that. What I'm saying, though, is that other people's sin affects us. Yeah. And because we are imperfect people, we can misinterpret or misapply or allow those effects to then set us off course. And that is part of the fall and part of human nature as well. And again, mental health is biologically based. So, so many things come into it. Mm -hmm. So to think that you can pray away a depression or you can pray away something like that. I'm not saying prayer isn't powerful. I'm not saying that hasn't happened. I am saying that's not the majority of cases. Yeah. And that in, in, in Christianity, there is nothing wrong. If you need to have some medicine to deal with a biological issue, mm-hmm. how is taking an aspirin for your broken arm any different than taking the antidepressant for your depression? Yes. That's yes. what I'm saying. Yes. Is that there is, we have, I think we have a better, bigger stigma among ourselves because we think because we're Christian, God's got us covered and we can't have any problems. Yeah. And the bottom line is that we're still on this side of the curtain. Mm-hmm. In this world, you will have trouble. Yeah. But take heart, I've overcome the world. And God heals through medicine too. Yeah. 
he heals directly, he heals through other people too. Mm -hmm. So that, that's, that's why when I get a chance to talk with Christians, I, 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 I appreciate greatly the opportunity to plant those seeds because I, I, think, I think that's an audience that needs to hear even more that it really is okay to not be okay. And because yeah. we're, we're used to putting on our Sunday best, yeah. you know, to go to church or whatever. And, hey, how are you? Oh, I'm great. You know, you have to have the two second greet, you, greet your neighbor saying, hey, I'm great. And you know what? You might be dying on the inside. Yeah. And I'm saying, let's just get real about it. Yeah. Let's just be real and say, you know what? I had a rough week and I need some help. You know, can, let's go talk and have some coffee. Yeah. You know? Yes. Pray for each other. By, by me, all means, yes. The word says to do that. Mm hmm it also says bear one another's burdens absolutely yeah yeah we all you know we all carry you know, we can share the same cross you know we can help each other up the hill and really that's kind of you know isn't it it's 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 taking up that cross and helping another person you know right. Right. Up the hill. and i know you know like you were saying before that's that's what i, I call you the spiritual side of it. it's, it's you know it's the physical health the mental health but also the spiritual health because I do find great, you know, when I open up the Bible and read some lines, sometimes they just hit you and you're kind of like, wow, that's, that's a great way of thinking. And it can set you up, you know, and uh, that's why, it, and like like you said, there's obviously other ways as well, talking to people, talking to loved ones, talking to friends. Mm -hmm. you know, that's why these people are around you, you know, at that you know particular moments. And not letting these experiences define who you are. And I, I think that, you know, your story really speaks true to that as well, doesn't it? You know, not... Um, because these things that happen to you can, you know, your mind can define yourself based on them things for a long time and really do you damage in the long run. Kind of. Yeah. And I think that's what, that's what got me started and got me on the right path of, of being able to get to this point. Cause there were long times like, you know, I see a Simone Biles, you know, who shares her story. I'm like, man, I wish I had that courage. Oh, I want that to be me someday. And it's always just out of reach. And, and for me, it came down to realizing that God, Jesus Christ is absolutely crazy about me, just the way I am. And when I started realizing that God loves me and his kids love me, that's when things started really changing for me, that I realized that I was lovable. And, and you know, it goes back to the value and everything. Um, when, when those roots started to take hold, mm -hmm. that's when things started changing for me because yeah. then I realized there's something bigger out here, yeah. you know, and, and, and there's, there's, there's purpose. And, you know, when I, when I, you know, I, I do, do book signs and stuff. And when I, when I sign the book, I always put my life verse in there. And it's Psalm 71, 20 and 21. And it says, I'm going to cry. It says, you have made me see troubles, many and bitter, but you will restore my life again. From the bottom of the earth, you will again bring me up. You will increase my honor and comfort me once again. And I love, I love the adjectives. Again, you yeah. will. You know, it's a very active verse. Yeah, um, strong. And 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 you know, and, and that's that that's what that's what that's what my life purpose is now about. That's why I coach. That's why I write. That's why I speak. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because you can absolutely see that. Like obviously, you have that mission. You know, and you're on it, and you're you're going through it, and. Uh, it's, it's great to see, you know, people, you know, overcoming them things and being spokespeople for these people who, who can't, you know, uh, you know, I often say about people who, who make great accomplishments like your book or make like your, your talking at the, the mental health summit, the global health summit, and, you know, um, people can relate to them. People say, then 
that person's been through so much, you know, if they can do it, you know, I, I can do it. And, you know, just, you know, they're a relatable character and you might connect to that person across the room and you don't even know what you do. Um, right. And, you know, I think that as well, when you said like, you know, when you, when you realize that, you know, you were loved, it gives you greater value to your life because it will, you know, I'm working artist, you know, there is a basis of why, and I think it's, it's, you know, it's, it's really great. And I think that, you know, you, and you are working on your second book now, aren't you? Uh, I've, I've got, yeah, <laughs> I've got it in the mind. Yeah. Um, there's, there's not a lot of words on the paper yet. Um, but, but I, I can, I can't tell you it's going to be part two of this much. I know yeah. it's, it, 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 it's going to be the next step. And then um, I've got, like I said, I have a third, third book in mind as well. And I have titles for them all. Um, so it's just a matter of just getting, getting them from the head into, onto the paper. That's great. And tell me, you know, for anyone who is listening that might be feeling isolated to the COVID-19 or maybe be in an abusive relationship or just, just down, like, you know, maybe have their own issues with um with food addiction or, or drink addiction, do you have any key messages maybe that you can, that they might stumble across this talk and take from? Sure. Yeah, certainly. I appreciate that answer before we wind down here. Um, and and the, be the best way I can share this message is through a quick little story. Okay. I was involved in a sports camp in, in uh, Missouri called Canicut Christian Sports Camp. And through it, I met a Christian musician named Billy Sprague, who also, by the way, loves Ireland. And uh, so, uh, yeah, another one. And so, um, so anyway, so I had lost touch with Billy for a few years, right after his fiance had been killed. She was on his way, on her way to surprise him at a concert, ducked behind, uh, out to see if she could pass somebody, and got killed on the spot. Billy found out right before he went on stage that night. He went neck deep in grief. He was suicidal. We reconnected on the ski trip, and it was during the time my folks were divorcing, so I was broken and frozen, and um, that's when the times I was suicidal. There were two thoughts keeping me alive, and one of them was my family doesn't need to go to my funeral in the middle of the divorce. So Billy and I reconnected, and I told him, I said, I need to learn from something you've gone through. So the last day, we talked for over an hour in the lodge, and I said, I need to learn. Well, how do you go on living when all you want to do is die? And he shared some stories. And one of the things he shared was as he was doing his, doing his concerts in, in between airports, he had a friend challenge him to watch his steps. And he would watch his shoes. And with each step, he would tell himself, one step closer, one step closer, I'm one step closer, I can do this. And he had me look. The last thing he said to me was, that's all I know to tell you, Sue, step by step. And he had me watch my boots on the way down the ski slopes. And my first thought was, it is a long journey, and I am not going to make it. That was 1991. This is 2020. I'm still going. My, my suggestion, my advice, my message, the reason I have my website by this name as well, is step by step. The website is my step ahead. Each step is a step ahead on your journey. You can't go running if you're not ready to. But you can take your next step. And that's why, you know, please reach out to me. If there's something I can do, go to mystepahead.com. Send me an email. There's an email right there. I would love to hear your story. I'd love to support you. If you're interested in coaching, you can reach me through that LED website. 
Um, if you, you know, just need, need some support, if you're looking for some resources, I've got some resources there. I'd love to help you find something in your area. If there's something I can do where you want to have me speak and reach out through that website, you can go to SueBowles.com. There's a form there you can fill out. We can get something going as well. Um, the Mental Health Summit is next week. It is May. Let me make sure I get the right dates. May 5th through 7th. It's online. If people will text next step to 31996, I have a discounted um, registration code that I will send them. Um, it's good up until the, conf the conference starts. The conference price goes up the day of, and it goes up even more afterwards. Right now, the, the, pre the early, early bird registration is only $97. That gives lifetime access to all of the speakers and all the content that is added after the conference co comes down off the internet. The conference is only live on the internet for three days. So they have that. Again, send next text next step to 31996. I can get you that registration, that registration code. Um, you know, I have something called Hump Day Help. Wednesdays are always middle of the week. I'm like, oh, I gotta make it through the weekend. They can, again, same thing. Text next step 31996. Join that email list or that text list. I'm happy to send that little encouragement. Um, you know, so either way, you know, you can follow me on, on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. It's all under my step ahead. I'd love to see you on there. Um, again, I want to support you in wherever your next step is on your journey. And I consider it an honor if you would invite me along. And, you know, it's, it's an honor been talking to you, Sue, as well. And, you know, I, um, I really appreciate you reaching out and taking the call. I think, you know, it's a very important story. And I know we can find your book on Amazon and Kindle. And this much I know, the space between. And like you said, mystepahead.com and sueballs.com. And I'll add them links to the script of this talk. That's great. Thanks. Uh, really appreciate it. Thanks very much, Sue, and I wish you all the best. All right. Thanks, Anthony. I appreciate your time. Thank you so very much. This That's great. great. Thanks, Sue. All the best. Thank you.